Vivek Mahbubani is a Hong Kong-bred bilingual stand-up comedian performing in both Cantonese and English. In 2007, he was crowned funniest person in Hong Kong in the Chinese category, and then won the English category in 2008. In 2014, the world-famous Laugh Factory ranked Vivek as one of the top 10 comedians in their annual Funniest Person in the World competition. This episode was recorded in December 2019, after Hong Kong had undergone 10 months of protests and riots. We mostly talk about the political situation, and less about personal stories. If you're looking for comedy, or if politics is going to ruin your day, you'll want to skip this episode and the next one. Okay, so you've lost work because of your stance on the Hong Kong yes. protests. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell me more about that? So basically, like, uh, I got on the news in October time when people kind of saw me standing outside this building called Choking Mansions, giving that water, and it associated with me with the protests. I also went on the Citizens uh, Press Conference, which is a pro-protest kind of press conference that they have organized by social workers and stuff like that. So I was there without a face mask or whatever, basically talking about ethnic minority issues in Hong Kong. So that basically let people know my stance in the protests. So obviously a few uh, events would feel uncomfortable because they might have, their guests would be from all sides of the spectrum. So to avoid any misunderstanding or any discomfort, they would either cancel the gig or basically tell me, sorry, we can't work with you anymore, stuff like that. So it was, it was expected. It's kind of like in business, whatever stance you take, someone's not going to like it. So you have to be ready for that customer not to come back to your business. Kind of deal. So yeah, I've had a few gigs where I've lost, but I wouldn't say it's something where I'm like, oh my goodness, what have I done with my life? I'm like, well, no, I'm standing for what I believe in. So how did you get involved in the protests in the first place? Well, starting from pretty much the beginning of when it got mass traction, which was 9th of June, when we had the 1 million people march in Hong Kong. I was one of the people there. I went out for the march and everything. And it, ever since then, I've been involved, basically updating with news, being involved with demonstrations and stuff like that. During the Umbrella Revolution in 2016? 20, uh, five years ago, to 2014. 2014. Yeah. Were you involved with that? Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I was involved. That's and I didn't stay out overnight at any of the venues. But I would be there during the daytime. I would talk to people about it. So yeah, I would say I was involved in that sense during the day, but not with a tent in that in that venue. It seems, in particular, now you're a lot more involved, and I'm kind of curious why that is. Well, first of all, the whole issue has been raised to another level. Before, it was just simply asking for universal suffrage, which, again, as I've said over and over again, it's supposed to be happening anyway. It's part of the basic law, and yet the government is not held accountable to it. So back then, it was that, and people were going more a peaceful route, as in, like, we'll occupy this, civil disobedience, trying to get the attention. The government spoke to some people, then threw four out of five of them into jail to basically say, yeah, we hear you, but we don't care. And so when the whole current movement started, it was still peaceful. I mean, why I'm more involved now, because it's basically like a fool me once, fool me twice kind of a deal, where four years ago, we were like, okay, let's be peaceful, let's talk and everything. And turns out that the game is, oh, you want to talk? Sure, let's talk. And I guess what? Next move, you go to jail. So you never want to talk again, right? So suppression. This time, we're like, okay, let's come out again. Let's demonstrate. Let's walk on the streets and everything. Let people know how many people come out. You've got a million people come out, and that very night, the government says, oh, I see you, and I ignore you, and uh, yeah, go on with your lives, which kind of just makes you go, okay, well, I guess we have to do more now. Yeah, so you guys, it sounds like, took the peaceful route, expressed yourselves, and results, nobody responded well, in a positive manner. I can give manner. you the, the basic chapter one timeline is on the 9th of June, there was the first anti-extradition law demonstration, right? And basically it was one demand only, withdraw the bill, that's it. 
Okay, so a million people came out on the streets and I was there, I'd never seen this many people in my life, right? I was there walking, it took us like six hours to go from Victoria Park down to Central, uh, sorry, uh, down to uh, Ledgeco area and pretty much everyone felt good. They were like, hey, you know what, I think this is gonna do it. They'll, I mean, they can't ignore this, right? Because when we had, let's say, 500,000 people come out for the 23rd legislation thing, they withdrew it. So we're like, okay, you got to have a million people this time. And clearly, the government's not going to be dumb enough to ignore it. And that very night, our chief executive decided to issue a statement to say, oh, a lot of people came out, but we're going to continue on with our work this coming Wednesday. Basically saying, doubling down, saying, I ignore you guys. So everyone's just surprised. and like, what? We, huh? How, how does that work? So that's when, on Wednesday, the 12th of June, People came out to surround LegCo to avoid the lawmakers from even entering so they could kind of discuss and debate and pass that bill that nobody wants, all right? And that's the day when the police probably were given orders like do whatever it means you need to take and basically disperse the crowd and make sure this bill passes. So the police had free will, tear gassing everywhere they could think of, cornering people, tear gassing them. There's footage you can watch live, you can see for yourself and everything. So that's when the whole police brutality issue came up. So um, they, had a, they had a legal gathering that was basically Sunny stopped by the police and all that kind of stuff. So on the 12th, kind of shook a lot of Hong Kong, which is why on the 16th, you had twice the number of people come out. You know, almost 2 million people came out, which is almost 30% of Hong Kong. So again, it's all been more like a peaceful aspect of like, let's just surround this place. The government should listen to us, but the government just kept ignoring it basically doubling down and doubling down and doubling down over and over again. And that's when after the 16th, the five demands started getting established. And the five demands are? Five demands are withdraw the bill, all right? Uh, that was already back in June, right? Withdraw the bill, uh, first of all, in, independent investigation to the current protest slash the police brutality. The retract the riots name that they've been calling all these kind of protests and everything. Release an amnesty for all the rioters that have been arrested, or basically anyone who's been arrested during this movement. And lastly, is implementation of what should be already happening is universal suffrage, dual universal suffrage. So those are the five demands. It's been very clear since June. So to break down some of that, why is the extradition bill such a big deal? Because the bill basically says that if China says, oh, this guy or person in Hong Kong who we feel has committed a crime, send them over to China for trial. And a lot of people do not trust the judicial system in China compared to in Hong Kong at least, because it's not as complete as the Hong Kong legal system. So in China, you could probably be tried for any small thing and they could convict you because they just don't like you from that point of view. Not to say that their system hasn't improved, it has, but it's nowhere close to what at least Hong Kong has. And that security or like seeing all the track record that's been going on of how people have been convicted for other reasons, but we, but maybe because of the political stance or whatever, but they've been convicted for other so-called reasons. So the idea is that we just don't want to have that kind of arrangement because at this point, China could just tell Hong Kong and the chief executive has power to go past the LegCo system and say, yeah, you have to go to China for trial now. Right now, you can't do that. Does Hong Kong have extradition treaties with other countries? Yes. There okay. Are. Yeah, yeah, there are. Okay. Just not with Taiwan. I believe not with Taiwan and not with Hong, not with China. Yeah. So the um, obviously the chief executive lied to everyone, claiming that she wanted to implement this law, the extradition bill for the justice of that guy who murdered his girlfriend in Taiwan. But 
from the get-go, from knowing her track record, we all knew she's just a political player. Everyone is just a political pawn to her. So her claim to fight for justice was a lie, as you can see now. He's out, he's walking on the streets in Hong Kong. Didn't they try to send him to Taiwan and Taiwan said no? Basically, Taiwan said, we will come and pick him up. You don't send him over. He, we don't take confession. We will come and arrest him in Hong Kong. And Hong Kong said, no, we don't want to do that. Because if Hong Kong does that, the chief executive acknowledges that Taiwan is not part of China. So both ways she loses. If she agrees to it, she acknowledges that Taiwan's not part of China. If she doesn't agree to it, she's basically saying, yeah, it was never about justice. It was for her own benefit. So he's walking on the streets right now freely in Hong Kong. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. There you go. Wow. So that's another thing where it's like in June where she was trying to be the the person of the law and justice and everything. Turns out that she doesn't really care about the guy's uh, legality nor the, the consequences of the family for the deceased girl. She doesn't really care about that. Wait, so if I take my girlfriend to Taiwan and kill her right now. Yeah. And you run back and to Hong, Hong Kong. Kong. Yeah. I'll get away with it. Yes. They arrested him for other reasons, but he was in jail for a while, but he's been released. Supposedly, I think it was for money laundering something or something like that. Like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he took her bank card or something. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But at this point, like, he's not even a factor people discuss because clearly he was just a pawn, which has been thrown aside. And unfortunately... I mean, fortunately for him, he was on the side of the government. So the government's like, yeah, we won't, we won't deal with you now. So he can roam around freely. Do you think the people around him, because people know who he is. Yeah. His face is plastered yeah, everywhere. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, Like his daily living as he's going around well, life. Well, nothing's stopping him from wearing a mask and covering himself up. Ah. There's that as well. So that kind of comes to the question to you is you're one of the few people who aren't wearing a mask. Well, and because I'm highly recognizable. So even if I were to wear a mask, people are like, hey, V. I'm like, okay, that was pointless. Okay. And it's been seen. I mean, I wear a mask for some of the protests. They're like, oh, V, hey, good job. I'm like, that, why? <laughs> you recognize me? What the hell, man? That's not the point. No. And, just, yeah. and just for the listener's sake, why is it that you're so recognizable? Because I guess I'm, being in, I'm Indian. So amongst the crowd, mostly Chinese, I'm highly recognizable. Maybe uh, people have seen my face. So half my face being covered is insufficient. There's that as well. And yeah, so maybe people have seen me on news and everything. So they probably have an impression on me. To come back to the five demands, you talked about universal suffrage. Yes. That would look like... Hong Kong, every Hong Kong resident being to vote for the government leader. The chief executive. For the chief executive. And then what would that mean in terms of for Hong Kong people in general? Well, first of all, we'd probably have someone who could maybe represent actually Hong Kong people. Right now, the chief executive is selected by a small group of 1,200 people and majority of them are pro-Beijing people. So obviously her loyalty would be going towards those people, hence China, mainland China. So the problem is you can see all the legislation that she's trying to push is more to help mainland Chinese versus the local Hong Kongers. For example, public housing and everything, they've reduced it so that a lot of new immigrants can get public housing and compete with local Hong Kongers. So people who are maybe trying to line up and get public housing now have to compete with a bigger group of people. When I would feel that, isn't it only fair that locals should have at least some sort of advantage the fact that we've been here for this long at the same time a lot of let's say schools and this and that a lot of basic policies would either be basically not beneficial to hong kongers but maybe to new immigrants would just feel unfair right and so i feel it's kind of like why are we getting abused and also you would have a lot of projects approved where the money is basically spent like what they call the white elephant projects where nobody wants it but they're just spending burning up the money so, for example, like right now, the third runway in the airport, If I, from the little bit of information I've read, uh, this Terminal 2 of Hong Kong has been closed. 
So okay. they're going to break it down and rebuild it so they can accommodate Terminal 3 or runway number 3. So the Terminal number 2, which is I think 10 years old now, that they spent I don't know how many billions of dollars, just because poor planning or whatever, they didn't, and they're just going to throw it away. So it sounds like for a couple of reasons, you would like the change of being able to vote for your chief executive because yeah. the current chief executive is doing two things wrong. One of them is policies that are biased towards new immigrants, mainland Chinese. Yeah, you can say that. Away I, from now, please don't confuse new immigrants with mainland Chinese. There are a lot of new immigrants in Hong Kong that are not mainland Chinese. So the movement, there's been a lot of narrative where it's saying, oh, Hong Kong's anti-China, anti-mainland immigrants, but again, it's new immigrants in general, not necessarily mainland Chinese. Just a lot of majority of new immigrants happening in mainland Chinese. So to, like, for example, like saying you're biased against Indians versus biased against South Asians. So you can't put them all in one basket just because one is majority. Policies that are biased towards new immigrants, mm-hmm. not necessarily mainlanders, even though majority of the new immigrants yes. are mainlanders, instead of helping the locals in terms of public housing. Or taking away what, for example, if, uh, again, there's so much information, but I remember, I think, getting social welfare or public housing. It used to be new immigrants have to be here for seven years, hence getting HKID. Then you can apply for public housing. And they've reduced that to one year. So that's a big jump to basically help take advantage of this and create more interest or a more welcoming atmosphere for new immigrants versus people who've been here for their whole life. That's interesting because from understand if you're already a Hong Kong resident, yes. if you want to get public housing, the waiting list is... It's long. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that it's already long and then now you add this on top of it, it kind of doesn't make sense, does it? It's like public hospitals. You know, you already have packed hospitals and then you're just adding more people than Hong Kong. I think the system is not equipped to sustain this. So yeah. the new immigrants are basically just, they're kind of cutting a line. You could say that, yeah. Like, you, yeah. like a year in? You could, yeah, yeah, you're cutting a line. Well, basically, uh, Or not, are they, they, could, they get residency after a year and then they still have to be on the waiting the list residency, for residency, I have to just, I, I'm not too detailed. Uh, okay, we have to check that. that. But okay. basically, it's the application for public housing because I think the residency happens... If I'm correct, there are new immigrants on a daily basis for, let's say, family, unity, and stuff like that. So maybe someone who has been in Hong Kong working and finally gets a permanent residence, there's some legal thing that they can apply for where their family can also join them in Hong Kong to be part of their family, which is fair. You know, uniting families, I think, is okay. But the idea is that now then all of a sudden you've got, let's say, four new people in Hong Kong competing with the system that's already uh, congested, which if you ask any policymaker, it doesn't make sense. But the problem is that, let's say, when it's beneficial to new immigrants, the new immigrants will obviously love you. They will love the system because it's beneficial to them. Whereas the old guys are like, I've been lining up for the last six years. Why did this new guy who came in just last year now get to line up with me? You get it? So there's a lot of that where it's like jumping the queue slash this is not even beneficial in general to Hong Kong. You know? So that creates a lot of tension between people's mentalities. So ultimately, it's the chief executive because her loyalty is towards one side. Obviously, she wouldn't care about locals as much as whoever elected her. So therefore, if you have universal suffrage, which again, I have to keep reiterating, is that it's part of the basic law. It's part of the agreement that China had with British and Britain for the whole joint declaration thing. So the point is that on one hand, you have the chief executive or the government that's like, oh, we should be a part of the law. You know, we can't be above the law. We can't go around it. On the other hand, they're saying, yeah, we're not going to implement this part of the law because we don't like it. Or we're going to suddenly use the emergency regulation because we want to make that law. So it's like, you can't have it both ways, which apparently they are having now. The chief executive is also creating or spending 
money on white elephant projects. She's like basically the airport. initiating slash approving, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so a lot of, I mean, when you have a lot of people who are pro-government, obviously the government's going to make things work out. So like district, districts will have benches that cost a million dollars, which obviously are overpriced. But who's going to, it's not like the chief executive is going to come in and step and say, hey, that's not right. So a lot of these things, so what I'm saying with the universal suffrage is it allows you from the top down to change the system rather than go from bottom up. So right now, citizens are at the bottom of the hierarchy, right? So all we can do is kind of voice our concerns. If you had a chief executive who understands or listens to the citizens, chances are we wouldn't even be where we are now, right? So because, but because her loyalty does not belong to people, she belongs to the people who elected her, then why would she care about us? How much of this do you think is tied into economic disparity? Hong Kong, from what I understand, is consistently always the top of the list in terms of all the cities and countries that has the largest gap between the rich and the poor. Yeah. I just wonder how much of that is... I'm sure a lot of it. I mean, the, the gap has been an issue way beyond this movement. This has been a problem we've all been discussing for years. I mean, the housing is already an issue that we've had way before, which is why like, the government now claiming that this movement may be caused because of housing issues and stuff is, is silly because this issue has been there way before all this has started. But they're hoping to buy and win hearts by claiming they're going to help with housing and you know the, 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 the wealth disparity and stuff like that. But again, right now, the whole movement is not about wealth disparity only. There is an issue. For example, you will see the guys in the front line clearly are not the guys who live on the peak. No one's driving a Bentley down to the marches, right? However, it does not mean that the guy in the Bentley will not be affected by this. And I can tell you now for sure, a lot of rich probably don't want that bill passing either. Why is that? Because they're money. Because then China can come and just pull them out for whatever they want. Like, China hates Jimmy Lai. They hate Apple Daily. The government hates Apple Daily, right? Because he's so anti-government. Like, he's very anti-government, right? So if China gets a chance to have this bill passed, I'm pretty sure he'd be one of the top people like, yep, this guy, uh, we have some information we'd like to get him in China for trial, please. And they're done. Like the U.S. government will often talk about illegal immigrants yes. and blame a lot of the issues on the illegal immigrants. Yeah. And which, it's not a real issue. Yeah, it's, it's the easy way out. And so it makes me kind of wonder, you know, are... Is it the same kind of thing happening here in Hong Kong, where people are like, oh, the immigrants aren't, like, they basically just, we don't want any more mainlanders. I understand what you're saying in yeah, terms yeah, of yeah. the capacity. But majority of mainlanders, therefore, it generalized and generally is there. And I, I don't disagree. I wouldn't say people don't have anti-mainlander uh, ideas, but I would say it would be wrong to say it is anti-mainlander. Because, like, if you read a lot of news or certain papers that are slanted one way, they will try to bend the news to make it seem like, oh, they hate mainlanders. I'm like, okay, first of all, you're, you're looking at one small aspect of this. It's kind of like saying you saw a guy speaking in Mandarin and get pushed, so therefore they hate mainlanders. I'm like, well, he could have been Malaysian too, but okay, I get what you mean, Mandarin, okay, you know. But the point is that uh, it's just over and over again. I, I always say we're jumping into mainlander because that's an easy topic and a hot topic to say. Now, let's take a step back. Let's say ethnic minorities are Indian and South Asian. Let's replace every mainlander example with the South Asian, all right? That issue has been going on for a long time. There has been a lot of anti-South Asian sentiment in Hong Kong. For example, you take the minibus, and I joke about this all the time, right? In my comedy, I sit in the minibus, no one sits next to me, stuff like that. So is Hong Kong anti-brown, right? There's all that. For example, 
there's a fat guy on the train. You don't sit next to him. Oh, Hong Kong's anti-obesity now, you know? So you can push it there if you want to. What I'm just trying to say is that there's, there's a, if you ask someone that, oh, is this right or wrong? It's easy to say right or wrong. But if you ask why, for example, why don't people sit next to me on a minibus? Is it really racism? Well, probably, but why is the racism there? Is it because on, on TV, you watch a lot of TV shows where let's say the thieves are always a brown guy? You know, so it creates that subconscious idea in your head. So which is why like a lot of times I tell people, if you take a step back and ask why, then you would see the real root cause rather than just say, oh, they just hate him because they hate him, you know. So same with the US, I'm sure. It's just the the media constantly reminding people the movies and everything, you know. It's always that guy who has the accent that's the bad guy. So it makes you kind of feel like, oh, the guy with the accent is the bad guy. Oh, the British accent, ooh, that's the evil mastermind, you know. So stuff like that. So I think over here, the issue is not so much just anti-mainlander or like it's just they have a certain hatred for a certain community of people. It's just that it's been over and over again, done not only with the news, but just general people chit-chat, you know. Like, for example, you have comedians making jokes about, let's say, people shitting on the MTR, you know. And it's, it's a funny joke, I get it, you know, but you will, people will laugh and kind of go home. But subconsciously in your head, you think, yeah, you know, these mainlanders, they shit all around the streets. I'm like, well, again, you're, you're generalizing. Right? As much as maybe 9 out of 10 do, but when you meet the 10th person, you can't immediately assume that, oh, you're going to shit now. No, he's not. Right? So it's the same with, us, with me being an Indian. It's like every time I meet people, and if they've only met certain types of Indian people in their whole life, when they see me, I can't blame them for having a certain impression. I would wish they didn't, but I also feel like, okay, that's the reality we're in. What can I as a person do to hopefully remind them that you're not wrong, but you're not right either? I understand that people are arguing for kind of democracy and their, you know, the freedom of speech mm-hmm. and ba- have a basic living standard. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, wrapped up in this whole thing mm-hmm. is this issue of economic disparity where people mm-hmm. are just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. there are poor people yeah, and there are rich people. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, for sure. And then there's also sort of this level of racism that at that yeah like and the reason I bring that up is one of the things that always stands out in my memory of living here in Hong Kong is a few years ago when people took full page ads calling mainlanders locusts Locus. yeah, 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 and I telling them to yeah. go home yeah 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 which I kind of understand like to your to your point yeah. like if you see enough examples of this and yeah. media and everything like yeah, that yeah. And you start thinking and I understand like when yeah. the mainlanders were visiting Hong Kong yeah. a lot of them were farmers yeah yeah, yeah. a lot of them or just from rural communities, yeah. and they just weren't used to an urban environment. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they come into a city and they misbehave. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And the Hong Kong people are like, "What the f?" Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And in a very short period of time, suddenly these farmers are suddenly becoming super rich, affluent people. Yeah. And suddenly becoming the bosses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I can understand the resistance towards that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just. There's the good side of things, and yeah. then there's the messiness of human behavior on the yeah, other yeah, side. Yeah. And I just kind of want to unpack some of that. Okay, okay, okay. So, for example, you talk about um, new immigrants. Yes. Right? So, on the one hand, yes. If From the local side, hey, I've been living in the city for my whole life. Yeah. How is it that these new people are coming in are taking advantage? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. On the other side, hey, a lot of these people who are coming here are super poor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so it's yeah. like, yeah, you lived in Hong Kong your whole life and you've been very lucky yeah, 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 to yeah. be in this very privileged environment. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. now these immigrants who are coming in, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're like, hey, I need help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so both ends. You know, I, I agree. So, okay, so let, let's go back to the locust thing. And I fully agree with you. I mean, that was a time when there was, uh, basically people were getting annoyed. For example, when was the last time you went to Shenzhou? 
I've never been. Never been there, right? Okay. When was the last time you led to, let's say, the uh, fun night, or like basically more towards the yeah, okay. New So the reason I tell you that is because like if you go there one day, just stand there and just watch the amount of what they call the soy ha, the parallel goods guys, right? So let's say you live there, right? You leave your house, the road's packed, suitcases all over the place, right? One day you're like, hey, tourists, what are you gonna do, right? If it's every day, by the tenth day, you kind of get a little annoyed. So for example, right now we're in this room, right? The hammering going, going on. You know, it's one day, whatever, hammer away, right? But every single day, 9 a.m. till 9 p.m., nonstop hammering. By, by two weeks, you kind of go like, you know what? This is ridiculous. I gotta do something about this, right? And then you start noticing there's hammering there, there's hammering, you talk to government, government's like, oh, you can't do anything, what can you do? And you're like, what the hell, man? Right? So you start getting annoyed. You talk to your neighbors, neighbors are like, yeah, I hate these, these construction people. Oh, these construction people are locusts, they're everywhere we go, right? So then you kind of get in this mindset. The, the echo chamber kind of deal. The problem is that now you're hating it because it's affecting you at such a level that it's just causing you to become a monster, right? So the whole locust thing was more like there's a, there's a group of people who unfortunately get stuck in this every single day. And at some point you kind of get so frustrated you're ready to go nuts, right? It's like, I'll, I'll, use, I'll use you as a good example. Like you do open mics and everything, you do a lot of jokes. You know, you might be as positive as you are, you might be in the best economical position you need to be, but you know, every time you go to open mic and you just, let's say you, you, you bomb, you bomb, after 10 days, you know what, man, my life sucks, dude. Suicidal thoughts, these kind of things start happening. Now, should I then tell you, but you have a great life, dude. Why are you suicidal? How, look at me, I'm worse than you, man. How dare you say you're suicidal? You're doing some fun, man, I gotta work, right? And I can keep using examples of how your life is better. But you're the one really going through it. So me telling you, don't be depressed, what's wrong with you, go home, you have a great house, everything. It's kind of me just connecting myself and trying to say, oh, how dare you even think like that? Because I don't think like that, right? So what I'm trying to say is that I'm, there's a lot of people I know that, let's say, are surrounded in that environment all day. And after a while, you get very fret, frustrated, especially when no one is there to help you. Or the people who should be helping or should be doing something about it is ignoring it. And you start getting nuts, right? You start creating resentment. And the hatred comes out. And then you have to take it in your own hands. But then by that time, you're so angry and so hateful of stuff that you generalize it. You get it? So there's a lot of that. And I say is that, again, the locust term I don't think is right. But again, it's not about right or wrong now. It's about why. Why did that term even come out? Why do people even feel this way? Why not ask those questions, you know? So again, taking a step back, if today you tell me, oh, you had a bad set last night, I'm like, what do you care, man? You know, it's just a fun, right? But at the end of the day, it's not about just the fun. It's like, I wanna, I wanna have a good set. It's not about, can you make money out of it? It's not about, you know, more than, it's just, I just wanna have a good set. So that's what I tell people is that there is hatred, but you take a step back, why is there? Which brings me back to my identity as an ethnic minority, right? I understand there is certain resentment of, let's say, non-Chinese in Hong Kong or South Asian especially, but I always ask why, why is that even existent? Is it because people are just hateful or is something happening in their heads? So for example, I'll go to schools, give talks, right? And you will have teachers tell the students, we are all we are Chinese Hong Kongers, right? In Hong Kong, we are all Zhongguoyan. And then they invite me to speak, and I'm like, okay, I, I guess I'm not a Hong Konger now. You know, then the students are confused, but my teacher just said, Then we see this guy who's a you know, Then you say, international, right? Then on one hand, you say Hong Kong is Chinese. It's like, so wh- which is it? You get it? So it will cause frustration and people saying, like, who's right? You're both supposed to be right, but both are wrong, you know? So that will create that, that issue, which is why the whole locus thing comes back to an identity issue. So Hong Kong, unfortunately, with colonial times and everything, we've never had our own identity. You get it? And that's the, the, the moment we're all in now. What is a Hong Konger? 
right? So when you have new immigrants coming in, doing their thing, and it doesn't go with your thing, and you're like, well, what the hell, man? You're trying to take over my identity? And they're like, no, you're one of us. It's like, wait, no, I'm not one of you. I'm myself, you know, that kind of a deal. So there's a lot of frustration. So again, using myself as an example is that if I go to India, right, and I'm Indian or whatever, but I'm not Indian enough to be India Indian. But does that mean I'm not Indian? I'm not saying I'm not Indian, but I'm not that Indian, you know, that kind of deal. So there's a lot of issues. So again, the hatred comes from the misunderstanding, but also the overall frustration over time. So simply way back there was because back then already you had these guys coming in every day. You had people basically abusing the system that they can go back and forth and make money, right? Now, taking a step back, why do people even come to Hong Kong and buy, let's say, milk formula? Why? The reason is because they feel more safe, more secure buying the formula in Hong Kong. Right? Why is that so? Shouldn't you buy it in China? You live over there, but you don't feel it's so safe. Then why is it not safe over there? Oh, we, the regulations aren't so good. What's going on? You get it? So when you take steps back, you're like, this is not right. It, it should be safe over there. Why do people have no trust in that? Isn't China so great as they claim? You get it? So there's a lot of that people you have to think about before you can come up and say it's hatred. Another example I can think of is maybe if you're a shopkeeper, a local yeah, shopkeeper, yeah. and you're seeing mainland tourists come in. You would stop them more for that, obviously. And they're dropping stacks of cash. Obviously, it's being business. Being ex- extraordinarily rude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then if you see this on a daily basis, you're yeah. going to start developing a level of racism. But it's, then, but so that's so this is part of the movement now. Is it money or morals? How, what's your bottom line? You get it? Let's say I'm a shop owner. You have these guys come in. Let's just, let's just say they're the worst of the worst, right? But they come in with a million dollars. They're tipping $1,000 per can of milk formula. Let's use that stereotypical form, uh, example, right? Now, I'm thinking I can open my store for one hour a day and make mad cash. But I got, for that one hour, I got to close my heart, just be like, whatever you guys want, you know, you're the king. You want me to lick your shoes, I'll lick your shoes, whatever you want, right? So put aside morals, dignity, whatever. I'm going to make some money, man. And once I make the money, I close my shop, go home with my family. What a great life. Now, it's all come down to your bottom line. So, for example, uh, if I got hired for a gig, like, all right, Viv, I'm going to pay you one million U.S. But our, our boss, he wants the stereotypical Indian jokes. He wants you to bobble your head. He wants to go, doo, 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 that kind of stuff, right? He wants that kind of stuff, right? For a million U.S. dollars. Now, for myself, that's too, too low. As in, like, the money doesn't cover it. I wouldn't be able to look at myself in the mirror. So, I won't take it. Does that mean no one else will? I'm sure it's few, someone will because the level of desperation or whatever. But the point is that's your bottom line. So it comes down to the shop owner. If it's about money, then yeah, you open your shop and do business for them, which is why you would then see certain shops stocking just for that demand. Again, it's business. You cannot blame someone to stock for certain demands, right? So coming down to, let's say, another example that we talked about earlier on is that you could write jokes that will sell or you could write jokes that make you happy. Chances are the ones that make you happy probably won't sell as much. You make less money, but you're happier with it. You could play pop music when you love jazz to make your money, or you could play jazz music and make less money. Lady Gaga, same example. You know, she's made her money and everything, but she kind of got back to her roots thinking, yeah, you know what, maybe this is not really what, I, what I'm about. So all that, it comes down to your bottom line, really. So the whole issue is using the, the, the parallel goods as an example of, I live and when I go down, there are no shops except parallel goods shops. So I got to travel one hour from my district to go shop for my own people. Now, if I have a baby and I need formula, I got to compete with all these people. The prices have been hyped up because they could make their money even the prices are doubled in Hong Kong. You get it? So then what about me then? I've been here my whole life. I've been a loyal Hong Kong customer and all of a sudden people are just selling out to money. So wouldn't that frustrate you? For example, you do comedy night after night and the owner's still going to give someone else a spot. 
He's like, I've been here every night. I clean up the club, everything, and you still won't get a spot. Well, you know what? He's the biggest star. You're like, yeah, but what about people like us? And that, that comes down to the comedy club owner, where he kind of goes like, you know what? It's more than just selling tickets. You know, that's, that's where the bottom line is.